Second Thessalonians chapter two. <clears throat> I'm going to read the entire chapter. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This, that's a very good description of a man that's very full of himself. Uh, remember ye not, when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that should believe a lie. They all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the attaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father which hath loved us, hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. So the title of the message tonight is Be Not Shaken. Be Not Shaken. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to assemble here together, to fellowship one with another, uh, to sing praises unto thy glorious name, to open the word of God, and we thank you that we have the word of God and have assurance that we have the words of God in our own language translated for us and preserved, that we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Father, I pray tonight that we would uh, rightly divide thy truth, make application to our day and our time and our lives that we're living today for our good and for thy glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I think it goes without saying we are living in a time of, in changing times, not only in our political world, but in our culture and society, uh, which political world affects. Uh, things that were taken for granted as normal for thousands of years are being questioned, considered out of date. Um, uh, things once considered evil are now being accepted as normal. Uh, evil things are called 
good, and good things are called evil. And we see this everywhere. Uh, you know, as you, as you look at the political scene, and of course the elections, you know, and it's not just not here in our country, they're, they're having the same kinds of things take place in other places in the world. In fact, I was just reading uh, this morning before we came to church, Brother Chapman's weekly update he puts out, and he mentioned for a few weeks, you know, about praying for the country of Chile, and they're having an election there, and, and there was a, uh, a possibility, there was a, there was a, you know, there's election that what was on the ballot was whether they go socialist or keep their capitalist free market type society. Well, they went socialist by 70 some percent. Which means there's going to be great restrictions come on religious freedom and expression. And of course, this is the, this is the issue even in our day in our country. It's this, this is one of the great issues. Um, in fact, uh, you know, the, the, uh, Democrat party, Mr. Biden, I thought I brought the article with me, but I didn't, has said that he is, if he is elected within the first 100 days, he's gonna, he's gonna, uh, reverse the policies that were put into effect by the Trump administration and give favored status and equal opportunity to the LGBTQ, comp, uh, you know, uh, people and he's going to crack down on the discrimination of churches against these people and the discrimination of uh, uh, soup kitchens and and homeless shelters and adoption agencies and and the military and you know the, the funny thing is Trump hasn't restricted transgenders from entering the military he's only said that you have to enter and li- enlist on your biological sex not what you think you are. So the whole thing is a lie. It's a scam. But these are the things that are, you know, being pushed in our country, and we live in, and we live in perilous times. There's changes that are taking place. The very foundations of our society are being shaken. And the sad thing is, it's my conviction that a lot of this filters down from the churches. It filters down from the churches. Look at our churches in America. A lot of them are a circus. What we call, what people call church in America, a lot of it is a circus. It's a money-making scheme. One one preacher rightly called it a pansy scheme, you know. Uh, Joel Steen and that crap. Uh, and so, and even in churches that are close to us, we have we have altered the gospel. But the, but the Bible says here that we are not to be shaken. We're not to be overcome by these things which we see in our world. It just tells us that the Lord's coming is near. His coming is near. And so he tells us in verse 1, I beseech you, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. Now, I think there's two things here listed as Return of, as we think about the return of Christ, there's, there's two phases in the return of Christ. One is going to be our gathering together unto Him. We call that the rapture described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 4, where it says we're going to go meet Him in the clouds. He's not really coming all the way to earth. We're going to meet Him in the clouds. But when He does come in what's called the day of the Lord, uh, 
which is referred to, or the day of Christ, which is spoken of in verse 2, where he says, as if the day of Christ is at hand, that, that is referring to, I believe, when he comes to the earth to judge and rule in righteousness. That will be seven years later, because there's going to be a period of seven years. And during that seven-year time, the man of sin, the one that is called wicked in verse uh, 8, that's a title given to a person, the man of sin. He's also called the man of sin. And so that's a title or a descriptive title given to a person, what we call refer to as the Antichrist. It's like we would say, uh, God, you know, uh, Isaiah refers to the Lord as holy. And it's, it's a title referred to as holy. And you have the exact opposite of that, the complete opposite of that, and this one called the wicked. He is the epitome of wickedness. Energized by the devil himself. He isn't the devil, but he's energized by the devil. But he says, you know, in spite of all this, we're not to be soon shaken or removed from the very purpose that we are here, and that is to declare the glory of God to a lost and dying world. You know, Timothy tells, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that in the last days perilous times should come. Daniel tells us in Daniel 7, verse 25, speaking of this Antichrist, this wicked one, that he's going to speak great words against the Most High. We see people doing that now. Speaking blasphemous things against God. And so he's going to speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints. That's the mean, that means he's going to constantly harass the saints of the Most High. So don't be shaking. And but his, we notice here some things about the method of attack. He says not to be soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us. There's there's going to be an attack of your person, uh, as individuals and as churches. We're going to be attacked. We are being attacked. We're under. We're, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a harassment, there's a pressure that comes with these things. And he says not to be shaken in your mind, in your intellect, or your understanding, or the, the power of considering or judging right, rightly, or calmly. Don't be shaken. You know, we live in an information age. The sad thing is, a lot of the info that we are bombarded with is false. It's false. You know, fake news isn't anything new. Even in this day, Paul said, don't be troubled or shaken in mind with what you're hearing. It's fake news. It's fake news. So fake news isn't anything new. Uh, in fact, the, the, the ten spies brought back fake news. <laughs> Think about it. Numbers 13.32, they says they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying... The land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. Now, was everybody in there a giant? But they made it sound like every man in there was giant. Of course, we come to... Uh, so this is what the ten, what they did not tell, uh, was what Joshua and Caleb knew, that their defense, Joshua and Caleb said in chapter 14, verse 9, their defense is departed from them. 
Now, what did they mean by that? Well, I believe they meant this. Do you remember when they actually then crossed the Jordan River? I think they had crossed the Jordan River. And they're sitting around Jericho, and they sent in the two spies. And what did them two spies come back and say that Rahab said? Our hearts did melt when we heard what your God did to the Egyptians. And I believe that's what Joshua and Caleb meant when they said, their defenses departed from them. They're afraid of us. What are we waiting for? They know God is on our side. They know God is with us. They know it's God that wins our battles. Who else can part a sea and drown all those Egyptians? So, so don't allow doubts to rise in your mind. We must cling to the promises of God. Hold fast to the promises of God, to the power of God, the wisdom of God. You know, there's a lot of people in the world that are saying that God's wisdom is outdated. I mean, you can't train children by the Bible anymore. If you do, the state might come take them away. No. Of course, people like to call us that hold to Bible teachings and doctrines legalists. And you know, that scares some people. It used to bother me. Bob Mitchell gave me some very good advice one time. He said, people call me a legalist. I say, define that for me, please. See, a legalist is a works salvation. It's, it's what the Pharisees were. They, you know, you go through rituals and, and so you, you work for your salvation. That's what legalism is. It is not holding Bible standards because you believe the Bible teaches it. Or living, it's not living in obedience to the commands of God as a child of God. Or, you know, one of the phrases that people like to use today is that you should not judge. Judge not. The Bible does say, judge not, that you be not judged. Oh, and if, you know, Matthew 7, that's where it says that. But we are to judge righteous judgment. You know, we are to judge, you know, Paul told the church at Corinth, you judge yourselves. You need to judge yourselves. And then he also told them in chapter 6, appoint those who are least esteemed in the church to be judges. And he said, do you not know that you're going to judge the world? Proverbs said, it is joy to the just to do judgment. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15 tells us that he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So a spiritual person judges everything. 
He examines this. Is it right in the sight of God or is it not? So the decisions he makes are determined by the judgments he makes concerning himself and concerning what he does and who he does things with. And so don't be shaken in mind by people who have this attitude of, you know, you should not judge. You know what they're doing? They're judging you. That's what they are. You liberals are the most judgmental people that I know. You, they, they are constantly criticizing. And their judgment is purely hypocritical. It's judging. And so don't be shaken in mind or be troubled. Don't be troubled in your soul. That means to be frightened or to, to wail with clamor. You know, Satan wants to play with your emotions and get you to fear, to be afraid, and to get you controlled by them. You know, we, we heard in Sunday school class this morning how, you know, that the, the whole army of Israel was paralyzed basically by one man. I mean, think there was probably 10, 30, 40, 50,000 soldiers in the Israeli army under King Saul, and one man who's a giant comes out and says, send the man to fight with me. And the whole army's afraid. They're paralyzed because they allowed one man to set the rules of engagement. Just because he said send one man didn't mean they had to listen to him. They could have sent 15 or 20 and ganged up on him. So don't be troubled. And usually we are troubled by the way we see things. You know, no, we need to look at things from the perspective of God's word. From the perspective of God's world. God's word. So don't wring your hands, worry and fret. You know, Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 3. Again, it was Joshua and Caleb. And they're protesting against these uh, ten spies and the children of Israel. And, and, and the children of Israel, and what the children of Israel does, they were troubled by this false report. It says, And all the congregation lifted up the voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt, and would to God we had died in this wilderness. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to stay, return to Egypt. And and Joshua and Caleb, verse 6, says, They rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth in milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord was with us. Fear them not. So when the world throws all this stuff at us, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. So that's the attack of your person. 
there's an artful process. You know, Satan is a very sly and deceitful enemy. And we see here in verse 2 that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. So this artful process, uh, we see first of all a condition, verse 2, a spirit, refers to a vital principle, a mental disposition, a prevailing attitude, or a mood. So don't allow Satan and the world to get you into this mood. Uh, the idea of, 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 uh, doing things out of routine. You know, we've always done it this way. You know, we have to be driven by a love for the Lord. A love for the Lord. You know, they can get us to the world. It, by pressuring us, can change our attitude toward the things of God. Our mood. Obeying the Lord can become a drudgery. It's just I have to sacrifice so much. We got to go to church again. Yeah. And these biblical standards, they're just, they just weigh us down. Yeah, the Lord told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 28, verses 47 48. He says, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness. So the commands of God had become a burden to them. You remember in Malachi? The prophet Malachi said that they had, they had, um, trying to remember the word. Of course, they robbed them in tithes and offerings. But, but, but they said that the, the offering of the Lord was contemptible. Contemptible. And that was, it's, 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 it's unbearable. And they were bringing the blind, the lame, and all these, you know, the ones with the broken foot, and these, these, uh, 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 <clears throat> you know, these, these, uh, handicapped sacrifices to the Lord, the crop sacrifices, which God commanded them not to bring, and they were offering them to God, and the priests were allowing it, and the Lord said, would you offer it to the governor? Would he accept it? You see, you have made the, 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 the sacrifice of the Lord contemptible. It's become a burden to you. You don't want to do it. See, it's, it's, it's all about a mood or an attitude. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore thou shalt serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in one of all things. He shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. You know, this is the attitude that a lot of churches have taken toward the word of God. There are certain things in the word of God they will not touch. It's like the lady that asked me the other week. You know, she said, some people get mad when I ask this. What do you think about same-sex marriage? Because many are afraid to touch it. That's a burden. 
because they're afraid of a backlash. I was talking about something with somebody else, a relative, some years ago, and uh, about some biblical thing, and I said, I, uh, I, I responded to it, and he said, this is what he said, he said, I wouldn't get away with that in my church. But it's biblical. So we can develop attitudes of apathy concerning holiness and separation. We're going to think that we are missing all the fun in life, and so we, we no longer obey in these areas with joy, but it's just kind of hard today. It's old-fashioned. And we, we, we have this attitude, sort of like Eve had. See, the devil convinced Eve that the Lord was keeping her from something good. And she swallowed the lie. She was deceived by it. What he was keeping her from, he was keeping her for something, from, from something evil. He, you know, he was keeping her from death and misery and sorrow and heartache. That's what he was keeping her from. So, the, so there's, a, there's a mood. Second, uh, he says, so don't be troubled in spirit, nor by word. This is communication. Something said by implication or topic. So we progress from a mood or an attitude to a topic of discussion. And, you know, a lot of the day people, they divide God's word into majors and minors. And we become the authority then of what we teach and what we don't teach of the scriptures. You know, if there are things in the Bible that really aren't that important, then why preach on it? Or why teach on it? Especially if it's divisive. So then we therefore become the authority on what we teach and what we don't. For example, preaching on the basics, just on salvation and easy believism without repentance, and have a lot of activities to keep people occupied, busy and content. That's what a lot of the churches do. <clears throat> and this is this is this is the things that are communicated. I uh, of course we know that that uh, <clears throat> many churches no longer teach biblical repentance. Uh, they teach an easy believism, uh, which really isn't even a true gospel. And this is, this is a, a large Baptist church in the area, and this is right off their website. And uh, this is their, their uh, plan of salvation. And, and the article says this, quote, Are you going to heaven when you die, or do you have some doubt? Friend, this is life's most important question, and it is true. It's not a question of how good you are, whether you go to church, or how much money you give to charity. It is a question about where you will spend eternity. God says in order to go to heaven, ye must be born again. And they have John 3.3. 3. So far, so good. And then they give five steps. Realize that you are a sinner. And they quote, uh, Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23, which says, as is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. 
Uh, you know, sin is missing. Basically, just it says missing a mark. I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but I want you to point out something that's missing in all this. Second thing is realize that there is a penalty for sin because you sin. Now you face the penalty of sin, and the penalty is referred to as the second death, separation from God in the lake of fire. And of course, the wages of sin is death. And uh, Romans six twenty three. Thirdly, realize that Jesus paid the penalty uh, for your sin. And, uh, you know, of course, God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son and so on uh, to pay your sin debt. There's nothing you can do to satisfy this debt you owe God. Only realize that only that Jesus is the only one that can can and has paid your sin debt. God commended his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Fourthly, acknowledge that Jesus wants to give you eternal life in heaven. And every, everyone can identify with receiving a gift. However, if someone gives you a gift, it's not truly yours until you accept it. Same is true with Jesus' gift of eternal life. He is offering it to you freely. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to have, be good enough to earn it. All you have to do is accept it. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And fifthly, believe in Jesus and ask him to be your Savior. And under this, number five, it says this. The Bible tells us that there are two actions required to receive the gift of salvation. First, you must confess. This means you have to tell God you are a sinner and that Jesus is the only one who can forgive you of your sin. Second, you must believe in your heart that Jesus shed his blood on the cross, died and buried and rose again. He is the only way to heaven. So if you confess and believe, God will forgive you of your sin and save you. And then, of course, it goes into Romans 10, 9 and 10 and a prayer that you can pray. What's missing? There's no repentance mentioned anywhere in that whole discussion. It's not even mentioned by word or implication. Many people would have no problem doing that, what that says. If you took that process... To, to to one of the the Asian countries, you'd have people being saved all over the place, making professions. They say simply ask Jesus. If you if you as you think in these truths, ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your savior. You can make that decision by a prayer similar to this. Again, the, the, there's no repentance there. The sad thing is, if you go, on again, on the church's website, and their doctrinal statement, they mention, in their salvation statement, they, they mention repentance. But in their how to be born again, it's not mentioned at all. My question is, how long till they change their doctrinal statement? Because this is what they're practicing. It's what they're practicing. See, even John 20, verse 31, uh, people say, well, ba- repentance isn't mentioned in John. But John 20, 31 says this, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That word believing means this. is used emphatically of those who acknowledge Jesus as the Savior and devote themselves to him. That's the lexicon definition. To devote means to give up to 
or appropriate to or concentrate on a particular pursuit, occupation, purpose, cause. So then the word believing here means that you are giving yourself up to the Lord. It's not just I believe in him. No, I am giving myself up to him. There is a difference. That's really what repentance is. As I said last week, repentance describes the very act of coming to God. You can't turn towards God without turning from the things of God. Of course, Paul said very clearly in Acts 20, 21, that, that he testified both the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, there is this uh, you know, changing of the Word of God. And you know, there's great pressure on churches to get professions. Because, you know, in the 60s, in the 70s, and into the 80s, there was lots of people getting saved. And I believe that many of them got genuinely born again. I don't think all of them did. I think many of them did because, you know, My age group and older that went to public school had the Bible read in school. They had the Bible read in school. Well, Starling, I'm sure you remember that. They were taught, they were taught to fear God. They may have not been taught the way of salvation, but they were taught that there that, that there's a God a creator that to whom we're going to be accountable to and taught to fear God. But you know, that all changed when they put the prayer and Bible reading out of school in the 60s, early 60s. You know, I was born in 62, and, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and I don't ever remember reading in our school, and I'll pass away, just a few years older than me, uh, well, maybe more than a few, but uh, you know, he's a few years older than me, and he, but he does remember them reading the Bible in school, public school. See, there's a foundation there of receiving the gospel. They already had some understanding of who God was. People today don't have any understanding of who God is. They're like, they're like the guy in Pennsylvania some years ago, my, my father-in-law went to, went to see and he was a nice guy. He was a good man. And that's what he said. He began listening to things that he's never done. And we couldn't deny any of it. But I took him to James chapter 2 and verse 10, where it says, If we keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, we are guilty of all. The one thing he was guilty of was adultery. And I point out to him, I'm not denying that you're a, you're a good guy. You do good to people, and that's commendable. But the fact is, you have still sinned, and only takes one sin to make you a sinner and an enemy of God. And until you recognize that God is holy, 
God never sins. God can't look upon sin until you're willing to recognize that and accept that and own up to it. You cannot be saved. And so, this changing. You know, God doesn't change. People say it's a minor issue. No. Uh, we have polluted the gospel, leaving repentance out. We have corrupted the image and perception of God by corrupting the doctrine of sanctification. People say, well, you, you know, it doesn't matter how you live. It's just, uh, it just, just so your heart's right. It's, it's a matter of the heart. You know, it is a matter of the heart. But if the heart is right, the outside's going to come along. And if the outside isn't coming along, see, the, the heart shows itself by what's on the outside. In fact, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaketh. So out of the heart comes what you see, what you hear. That's where it comes from. See, people would like to use the verse in, in uh, Samuel, what is it, verse Samuel 15, where you know, Samuel's looking at Jesse's sons, and he, he looks at Eliab and says, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord said, No, it's not. Man looketh in the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. See, God looks on the heart, so it really doesn't matter what the outer man looks like. That's not what that verse teaches. See, we're to be holy in spirit and what? Body. That's what the Bible says. But see, we have corrupted, you know, as I said, the, the, I believe a lot of our problems in our society has, goes to the churches because we have no longer presented to the world an imi- a proper image of who God is. And churches that do like ours aren't liked. Because you can go find somewhere else so it's just a little bit easier to your tastes of the world. You see, the greatest damage Israel did in yoking up with the Canaanites was mar the image of God to the nations around. And so, the communication. Third thing, talks about a uh, corrupting process here, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, verse 2 says, as the day of Christ is at hand, that would be a creed, a letter, an epistle, a written statement of faith. You know, you know uh, churches... Churches usually start to practice or do things, change their practices, and then they change their constitutions. You know, we, we, you know, our, our written statement or confession of faith should be what the Word of God states. You know, many, many have this written statement or confession of faith concerning the Bible. Quote, we believe in the inspired Word of God in the original writings. Unquote. What does that statement really mean? 
if it if if they believe in that we have the preserved word of God in the original writings, then we don't have the preserved word of God. Because we don't have any original writings. So that statement doesn't say anything. And again, it's like this church I just quoted you about. It's not it's not what they say, it's what they're doing. But I want you to notice and my time's going here. We have advanced protection. Notice verse 2 again. He says, That you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So, he challenges us, or encourages us, to keep a sound mind. Don't be shaken. Keep a sound mind. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober. Be sober means keep a sound mind. Be vigilant to be on guard. We do need to be on guard and discerning of the things that we hear and the things that we see. And so be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So the world wants to, to get our minds off of the things of God and get our minds drawn away to the things of the world and be pressured by the world, and be shaken by the things of the world. But God says in his word, don't be shaken. Keep a sound mind. Do you know what that means? You're going to have to think. You know what the problem with the world is? They don't think. They don't think. You know, if people really thought for themselves, they wouldn't give, they wouldn't give the liberals the time of day. Because their propaganda is inconsistent. It's inconsistent. You know, a good illustration of that was this Twitter censoring the stuff about Hunter Biden. And then saying that they don't put stuff on their Twitter, whatever you call it, that's not been verified. And as Tom Cotton very calmly said to the reporter, what about the Russian dossier? The Steele dossier and all that stuff? Was that verified? Was it legal to expose or make known Trump's tax records? The answer is no. See, it's inconsistent. The whole thing is climate change. It's inconsistent. I was just reading the other day. A guy texted me something about, and he didn't call it climate change. He called it climate something, anyway, asking if I would be in support of it. And... um, you know, there was this doomsday thing that put out in 2004 that by 2020, much of Britain would be underwater. No, not underwater. It would be like the Siberian desert because of climate change. <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway. No, we're to keep a sound mind. Uh, 
Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a fa- for a foundation, a, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. Proverbs 21, 15, The thoughts of diligence tend only to plenteous, but every one that is hasty only to want. And so, we're to keep a sound mind. Secondly, trust in the promises of God. Look at verse 15. Drop down to verse 15, where he says, Therefore, brethren, so considering all these things, you know, the, the man of sin is going to be revealed at some point, but, you know, we're not going to be here when he is, and, and you know, the, these are the things that have to happen first before that happens, and, and that's another message. But he said, don't be shaken because we need to stand fast, hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, the word tradition here means teachings passed down. You know, the gospel, the word of God, and the, is, is the, uh, you know, our faith is built upon the words of Christ and the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The apostles gave us the word of God. And so, we're to hang on to those things that they taught that have been passed down for us in the word of God. Truths passed down. You know, it's not like, well, we have this tradition of Thanksgiving that we keep year to year. No, no, we're talking about things that are truth based on, that are taught in the Word of God, that do not change. Because you might change your Thanksgiving tradition. You might decide, you ain't going to change it. And it wouldn't be right or wrong. You might have some family members that oppose you and might not have you about it. But it's, it's, you know, you're at liberty to change whatever your family tradition is at Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it is. That's how we view tradition. But the word tradition here refers to truths passed down that do not change. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. See, God made promises to Jacob that his seed would never be consumed. They were to utterly destroy the Canaanites. But God made a promise to Jacob and Abraham and Isaac that Israel would never be destroyed. And God's going to keep that promise. And so we need to keep, keep our minds stayed upon the promises of God. They do not change. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust thee in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And Luke 4, 4, Jesus answered him saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So our communication, our minds are to be guided by God's word. God's word. This is our protection from being shaken, from living in fear by being pressured into succumbing to the pressures of the world, is to meditate upon, trust in, and rest in the promises of God, keeping a sound mind. You know, His commandments are not grievous. They are reasonable. They are logical. And so, we are not to be shaken. Don't be shaken. Trust in the Lord. His promises are true. And if we will trust Him, 
If we will trust Him, we will not be led astray by the pressures and the trials of life.